I find myself. What does this mean? Now, there's a phrase that I use here a lot about how um, familiarity doesn't breed contempt, but familiarity breeds infamiliarity, and infamiliarity breeds contempt. I think for Pentecost, that's, that's true in a different way. Our familiarness with it um, almost injects into it all this meaning from sort of the modern world, and then we lose sort of what the gift of the Spirit is. So that reading we had today from Acts 2 uh, that was read for us, Fuller uh, Seminary puts those together, um, proclaims that day of Pentecost in this sort of miraculous way. John's gospel, but before we go too far forward, Pentecost is not just the day we talk about Acts 2. We talk about the work of the Spirit. Thank you, Jesse. Um, uh, we talk about the ways in which the Spirit works in the world. And so Acts 2 presents this coming with fire and flame and miraculous tongues. And for most of us, that's what we think of when we think of the Spirit. It's hard to say what's next. It's hard to expand that notion. And so for me, when I, when I get to Pentecost every year, and this is probably more confession on my part than anything, I struggle with what to say because I find myself locked into that same lens. The Spirit today only means miracles. The Spirit today only means tongues and flame and fire. John's Gospel has a different way of sort of bringing up the Spirit. Jesus breathes on them towards the end of the Gospel, and he says, My peace I give you. He gives the Spirit in that way. And, and Paul in his writings, who we didn't read today, has this way of sort of illuminating the Spirit as it's the, the voice of sort of Christ in, in, in us calling out to the Father. And it's that which is, is bringing us to our consummation. And if you read Acts 2 too fast, you miss that too. Peter proclaims that this is that day from the prophet Joel. And his proclaiming this is that day, he proclaims sort of this es eschatological last times, end times sort of story. And so this is um, uh, a question for us, or um, a phrase that I use when we talk about the spirit that we'll start with, is circumambient. Um, the spirit is inside me. The spirit is outside and active in the world. In, in Hebrew, the spirit, the, what we get with spirit is this breath, wind, ruha. Uh, in, in the psalm for this morning, um, it's what gives us life. Uh, in Ezekiel, it's the breath that comes upon the people, um, the dry bones, and gives them life. The spirit um, blows where it will. The spirit is, is likened to water and oil and all these metaphors throughout scripture. And so, is the spirit outside me? Is the spirit inside me? This phrase circumambient, which I found in a, um, used by David Kelsey and his, his notion of what does it mean to, to be a human, he says the spirit relates to us circumambiently. The son, he says, relates amongst us in bringing us to reconciliation. The father, he says, relates governing instead of among or circumambient to us in creating us. But he says the spirit relates to us circumambiently and bringing us about to our fulfillment in God. As we walked through those, um, the, this last series we did on sort of 
the marks of Defiance Church, and we talked about faith, hope, and love being them. And one of the ways I tried to name faith is faith is our stance um, to what God has done. We name the mighty acts that God has claimed us in his rescue of Israel from Egypt and in our baptisms and in the good things in which God has proclaimed and radiated goodness to us. Hope is where we stand and look towards future. This is our stance towards looking towards the consummation that is to come. And here, I think, is where the Spirit is the reminder of that. This is when the Spirit falls on uh, Peter, is he's able to say that this is pointing to that day. This day is dawning. This day is coming. It opens up new ways of being. So the Spirit in this way is, is sort of circumambiently connected to us. These are sort of the five sort of things we ended up as sort of governing analogies or, or thoughts for Defiance Church. I still haven't come up with a word for this. Uh, one of my friends is a pastor. I said, synergy. And he said, you're fired. Um, if it's a bad early 2000s movie with synergy. It's a too businessy language talk. Um, he said, you can't do that. But if you remember, the first one was word that we went through. The second is confession in the way in which we vocalize God in the world. The third was tradition in which we pull from this well. Uh, the fourth was order. And the fifth and final one was table. Um, that these were sort of the five things that will keep coming up in our common life together. Interestingly enough today, and my goal, I said, is not to have them fall away, but to keep coming up again. And so for my sake, you know, of the one, the mission of the Fines Church is to be a witness to the reconciling work of God. Um, the three, faith, hope, and love, and the five, is to have in my mind when I finish a sermon, where am I on these eight, I'm bad at math, nine, uh, ten, nine things. Um, and, and even today, the fact that we're celebrating Pentecost, names that were located in tradition. I was at a breakfast with five other pastors this week, and I asked how many of them were celebrating Pentecost this week, and they all said, no. And I was like, I wish I was with you. I struggle to preach on Pentecost, and yet here I am bound to this tradition in time, and here we're going again for my eighth time striking out on Pentecost. Um, but uh, uh, we have these sort of things that are, are going to come up again in our common life. Obviously, word, it comes from the Bible. Um, but the, the, this Pentecost work of order in the psalm that we read, that these are sort of the things we're called into. And one of, the, one of the reasons why this series ended before Pentecost and Trinity Sunday is that those are the true groundings of what the church is. I'm going to jump around a little bit between the readings we did today, but going back to Ezekiel, he brings Ezekiel up on this um, plane and he says, can these dry bones live? Israel, when it just likened to towards the end of that parable, is dry bones. The best one, three, and five, the best nine things I can come up with, the best hundred things I could come up with, the best thousand things all of us could come up with together are dry bones and less animated by the Spirit of God. So while I'm glad that we've done that work and that this work is sort of being drawn out for us, Unless the Spirit comes and inhabits that place, they remain but as dry bones. And so our hope is, as we sort of move into this, um, early in the sermon series I talked about moving from defiance beta, if you're familiar with tech language, releasing something and, and figuring out where the bugs are, to defiance 1.0. 
And if you noticed my ability to advance PowerPoint slides today, we have not squashed all the bugs yet, but um, we are moving forward into this sort of new space as, as this 1.0 kind of space. And in that way, um, uh, these, these things we ask to sort of come to us, but unless they're illuminated by the spirit, they are but a uh, pile of dry bones. The church lives by this spirit. It cannot make its own way in the world. And the language that the church often will use for this is grace. It is God's grace that enables us to do and to be this, to be able to grow in these ways. And so this um, is Pentecost Sunday, and so it's a reminder that these things are meant to be illuminated by the Spirit and guide us as the Spirit will. The second thing is, is that next Sunday is Trinity Sunday, which is sort of the true grounding, goes all the way back to our first one, witness to the triune God, which is a not fancy word for Trinity. It's just a different way of saying it, so that sentence makes sense. The Trinity God would sound sloppy. Um, the triune God, uh, and David's going to be preaching, and what David's going to do, this is where we all thank ourselves that we are not David, is attempt to take what I did in the last six sermons and make them into one concise summary. Um, have fun, David. Uh, I'll be here, and I'm excited for it myself to hear how these things come back to you. As, as many of you are teachers who have taught, like you say, or, or parents, <laughs> you say these things over and over again, and then when they're repeated back to you, you go, uh, the movie I haven't seen. Uh, I don't think those words mean what you think they mean. Um, that's the Princess Bride, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, you're like, you use those words that I taught you in a sentence, but not in a way that... But David has this way, uh, prayerfully capturing what was said and, and condensing it. Shelley, you have that gift too often. Um, we haven't tried to do it with five sermons with you, just with one. Um, but David will be doing that work, and I'm excited for that work. And those two, the Trinity Sunday and the, the Pentecost, are grounding it because it's grounded in God. Um, it's not grounded in who we are and what we come up with. But this today's sermon, I think, radiates around two questions. One is what the, the people said on Pentecost. What does this mean? Um, and the other question that comes from Ezekiel, uh, Son of man, can these bones live? And the reason why that other quote is on the top is last week also came out of a question from the Psalms. Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? As we talked about the table that God has provided for us to meet Jesus at and here in communion by the gift of the Spirit, we said that the answer to that question is yes. In our own frustrations with the world, in our own seeing things falling away, um, in, our, in this movement that we talked about from sort of a, a positive, neutral to negative world Christianity or post-Christian society, however you want to name it, we begin to ask the question, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Can God really meet us here? And the answer to that question we said is yes. God meets us in these tangible elements and acts of bread and wine that God spreads a table in the wilderness. And not only that, what I tried to, to say is that the church's time naturally is a wilderness time. The church is not yet in the fullness of time. So the Spirit's act of bringing that to us is not fulfilled yet. We still exist in agony, in a world of cancer and depression and addiction and um, 
over consumerism and militarism and disease. We have all these sort of things still going on, so we're not in that spot yet, and that the Spirit brings us that word. But the, but the question that Ezekiel is asked, and I just want to walk through each of the three readings for today, um, uh, is, is, can God, is can these bones live? If I've lamented the world too much in the last five or six sermons or 100, um, there's a way in which this turns around, And Ezekiel is brought up to look at the church or at Israel and to ask, can this place come alive again? And its own dysfunction and its own turning away and its inability to express what God has called it to and calling it out of the world to be a blessing of the nations, can these bones live? And this question that I think radiates with us, too, is that we, in our own spiritual lives, too, can ask the question of ourselves, can these bones live? God, you've brought me up to this space. And when I look at what I've done and how I've acted and how I've been made manifest in the world by my own power, can the dry bones that make up my own soul live? And so, in good modern way, he says, well, here's the deal. You've got to follow a couple influencers and buy a couple books. And then, you know, <laughs> Ezekiel answers, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Can the bones of the church live? Can the bones of my life live? That's not a uh, um, personal project with a life coach. That's, that's where the, the eight, nine things can fall flat or other things can fall flat in our world if they don't rely on the work of the Spirit to animate them. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath, spirit, as I said. I will make spirit, breath, enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then will you then you will know that I am the Lord. That God says that this first off um in the and we often too quickly and I've done this myself is skip that we are brought up in this place as Ezekiel. We're not just the dry bones in a world in which death seems to have had the final word, in which our failures seem to have won out, we're brought up to an expanse with Ezekiel and called to look out as well. And what the Lord says to us is, prophesize to these dry bones. Speak to that which is dead. We worship a God of resurrection. And yet oftentimes, if asked to speak to that which is dead, it would be like to remind God that it's dead. Missing that act crucially that God does in Jesus through the resurrection. Speak to that which is not just newly dead or just there for a little bit, but a valley of dry bones. We 
are brought up to that place to prophesy as well, not just to say, God, do that work for me, but to listen to God and to say the things that he's commanded, that God is going to knit these places back together. Um, in Isaiah, it's the rebuilder of empire or the rebuilder of broken walls and cities is sort of the way it's proclaimed, is that we are the people who are supposed to look out at dry bones and say, this is where God can get started. And too often we just go to angst and anger and wonder, how can we build a project to animate these dry bones? It's a marionette? Is that the Pinocchio? Yes. Uh, that would be my solution. What if we tied little strings on them and made them dance like a Disney cartoon? But God is going to bring them back to life. And so I prophesied as I commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise rattling, a sound, and the bones came together bone to bone, and I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, spirit, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood at their feet, a vast army. And what I love is that God works with the material of dry bones and then dresses it with flesh. But that final act is the second one. And if, if you're going back to Genesis 1, God takes dust and he forms it, and then he breathes on it. He puts spirit in it, and that's what makes it come alive. And so, too, it is for this, this is, these dry bones are knit together, but they're not alive until the Spirit enters it. And if you look at Pentecost, um, the church is, is waiting in, in Luke, or at the end of Luke, he says, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. His disciples and followers are, are but dry bones, and they're waiting to be clothed from power on on high, which is the Spirit that breathes in on Pentecost. And what I love is this phrase that happens next is that he said, this, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesies and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you back from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord, and when I open up your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit upon you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, your Lord, have spoken, and I have done what it declares the Lord. This, this phrase here, our bones dried up, our hope gone, we ourselves are cut off. Our bones dried up, our hope gone, ourselves cut off. Describing the effects of sin and dysfunction and disorder and the ways in which we tear away and, and what is sort of the, the final act of death declares to us as we await um, our resurrections, as our bones are dried up, our hope is cut off, our, ourselves, our hope is gone. We ourselves are cut off. And what God says is that God will be the one who opens graves, opens hopelessness. And the sign of that is that I will put my spirit in you and you will live. 
that what happens and is spoken here is that I will put my spirit in you and I will live and you will settle in your own land. And this land in the Christian imagination is what we call the kingdom or the new heavens and new earth in the language of the book of Revelation, that God is preparing that place for us. Ezekiel names the, the frustration of life without the spirit. Jump over to the psalm this morning, Psalm 104, which we only read in part. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing because I think it has um, a deep sort of beautiful meaning to it in the way that creation is sustained and maintained throughout this. But all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you spend, send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. This is where that... Um, Spirit's expansiveness, circumambiently, but also drawing us to completion, is, is becoming made manifest. As this psalm speaks about the way creation is ordered and sort of ongoing in this sort of creative way. And so what it speaks of at the end is that these creatures, we look to God, and when he sends the Spirit, we are created anew, and God renews places. Where are the dry bones? The places of renewal. God sends his Spirit to that place. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, he who touches the mountains and they smoke. For I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Psalm then continues into that glory of the Lord enduring. That the Lord's works would rejoice in the earth. And God's power over it. And that we as these ones who have the spirit now within us are to sing a song to the Lord all the life. To, to praise him. The spirit sort of works in that praise radiating within us without us way. It brings us into this, this um, uh, creation in a way that we sort of move into sync with what is. And it brings us to this place of praise. The lectionary, these three readings I didn't choose. Um, these are chosen by the Revised Common Lectionary, which most churches use. Defiance Church has a love-hate relationship with the, no. Um, we use the lectionary during, uh, during high holy days, and during other times we, we sort of play fast and loose. But the lectionary chose these readings for, for us, me, this morning. Um, but they, they cut out this, may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Um, which is a weird thing to cut out. And what I think, what Pentecost proclaims, and what the psalmist proclaims, is that in the culmination of the creation of all things, the renewal of all things, the way the Spirit is drawing us towards consummation, the way God is giving us life, is that that which does not belong is not there. Those who bring about distortion, those who bring about destruction, those whom, whom destroy what God has created, that in the fulfillment of all things, those shall be no more. 
And if you're like me and you're like, well, I, I mean, there's maybe some people I'd like to think of that way, but I don't really know them. Um, you know, uh, people far away and doing terrible things. Um, but I think there's a way in which if perhaps we struggle too much with sinners means, you know, uh, somebody who's my neighbor or something like that, perhaps we can think about it in the way that the New Testament suggests principalities and powers, that there are, are, are sort of spirits and things that purposely distort all the time, that there are things we get captive by. And so to say that in the reconciliation of all things, where will those things fit? Racial hatred. Um, overconsumption so that other people are left off, le left out. Uh, <laughs> social media, let's just pick that one. <laughs> all these things, to say where those go in the fullness of all things, these things that make us continually feel empty and draw us away, that make us feel like what Ezekiel says, our bones dried up as we try to, to contribute in this rat race or to become... Um, the most virtuous people in the world, I think that's one that can empty people today, is that I need to be able to correct everything um, as we sort of participate in these things, that, um, that those things don't belong. The race over and over again is emptied. Praise the Lord, my soul, praise the Lord. The last of these readings, which we've been hinting at this whole time, is the one from Acts 2. And the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and they were all together awaiting this being clothed in, in, with power from on high that Jesus has promised them. And they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. Um, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven and when they heard the sound a crowd came and bewildered because each heard their own language being spoken utterly amazed they asked aren't all these uh, speaking Galileans that they ask all these people are speaking from one region and yet we all from all over the earth hear in our own tongue um, and somehow other made fun of them and said they've had too much wine which is perhaps my favorite part of the story um uh, and then Peter's excuse, no, it's too early for that. Um, it's the first time I've gotten a laugh at that. I must have figured out the delivery correctly because I try to make that joke every year. Um, <laughs> now we laugh. It must be reoccurring. It's your, your, um, but I think what this, this passage we, we miss is, first off, that this... Um, we could talk later about the speaking in tongues that Paul talks about in, in the Corinthian correspondence and what that means. But this is clearly different because people are hearing in their own language. That what Paul is talking about in Corinthians is a little bit um, uh, borders on incoherent and what to do with that. Maybe private prayer language is what we might consider that Paul's taking about. But here, this miraculous thing is that people hear in their own language. And one of the challenges as we finish the sermon is what do you pair Pentecost with? Because if you pair it with Babel, if you remember the story of Babel in Genesis 11, that the human beings tried to build this tower up to God, and then it says that God looks down upon them, which is like, Oh, that's cute. Look at them trying. So puny. And so the God says to uh, the, the God figure, it says, you know, well, let's go down and see what they're doing. Like in our efforts to reach all the way up there, God still is like, I guess we got to go down. 
see what they're doing um, as we try to strive all the way up to the top. But what God does is, is confuse them and place them with all these languages. This is where Babel comes from. Uh, isn't one of the languages programs on the internet called Babelfish? Um, like it's a, we still use it today. We babble. Um, this is what happens: is the people are dispersed throughout the earth and each given their own language. And you would think that that perhaps the solution to that is a new uniformity, that there is one language that comes. But actually, what happens in the book of Acts and Pentecost is everybody hears in their own language. And so, what's intended to sort of be a curse for humanity in Genesis 11 that they can't communicate anymore, is undone in Pentecost. They each hear in their own language. But it's not undone in that they all, then God set one language upon which everybody must speak, and that is the way of the Lord. God honors the diversity of people's experiences and lives and languages and enables them to hear in that way. God doesn't override all of us, but comes in this space. Pentecost celebrates the giving of the Jewish law. Um, it's an actual Jewish festival. It's not just one Christians invented. This is why all these people are in Jerusalem. If you pair Pentecost with that, what does it mean that on the day in which the law is received from Torah, that the Spirit comes and enacts in this way? But all of these ways of, of explaining it, I think, miss what Peter wants to tell them is from the prophet Joel. Then the last days, God says, I will pour, pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your, old, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day is the Lord. And, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved that Peter, full of the Spirit, is able to open up what God has spoken in the prophet Joel and name this day as that day, and it's the day in which people will prophesy forward. They will speak of what to come. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Kim, when we talked about... Uh, Defiance Church witnesses to the reconciliation of all things. She said, you didn't talk about all things. And I told a joke that I learned from another pastor, which is in the Greek, all things means all things. It's the reconciliation of all these things. That the spirit will be poured out on all flesh means that the spirit in the Greek means all flesh. That God is opening up in these ways. And this is, I think, hard for us. As we see in the book of Acts, it was hard for Jews to move from this place of sort of that we know how God acts to God is doing and creating a new thing, and yet that's always been hinted at. Uh, we put into rules what God intended for a time often. And what happens with this spirit as the disciples are, are, are moved throughout the book of Acts, this is where I want to close, is they become people... Um, who it's, they're accused of, and I think it's Acts 17, of turning the world upside down. The, uh, I think it's Ephesus they go to, and it's um, the, the people say, we have to expel all these Christians, all these people, because if they do, they're, they're actively engaged in turning this world upside down. 
The Spirit's circumambient work bringing us about to consummation is to become people who, who look at the world and see what is wrong and see what is dysfunction and, are, and through the Spirit's eyes are empowered to turn it upside down. Because we've been captured by that which is greater than us. It comes with fire, it comes with tongues, and it comes with the spirit of adoption that enables us to cry out to God. And even in our prayers, Romans says, it's what intercedes for us in our groanings when we don't know how to pray. The Spirit acts in many ways, and so does this day that we set aside to pray, come Holy Spirit again in this place, make these dry bones live, renew the space of this ground, and bring us about in God's work of renewing the world. Let us pray. God, you give us many gifts. Give us life. You give us food. You've given us the reconciliation of your Son, Jesus Christ. But on this day, we mark the gift of your Spirit. That which is near to us and inside of us that which acts in the world, that which brings about hope of our consummation. We pray for your spirit to come on these dry bones again. We prophesy to that which looks dead, knowing that you are a God of resurrection who can bring about life and broken and dark, and empty, scared places. I ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.